it's nice to meet you personally. Uh, a, because I went to high school here, and I was actually a, a bit of a drama nerd, so I, I, have, um, I have performed a musical on this stage, I'll have you know. I was the villain. I was cast as the sadistic dentist in Little Shop of Horrors, and I killed it. You know, stop telling you, I nailed that part. I was evil. I was evil. I creeped people out. But it was fun. Uh, and then this is also a really special place because we often get to have um, youth worship nights here. And if some of you have ever had uh, heard of the chapel, it's a it's a collection of youth groups that all come together and worship here. It actually started here in this auditorium where we moved here, so it was a little church down the street. And so this room is it reminds me of Jesus' presence and hundreds and hundreds of youth worshiping. And so it's kind of a, I was texting the. the the pastor of the church was just down the street because they had their Good Friday service here. We were talking about how this auditorium is holy ground now, the John Oliver Auditorium. But yeah, it's a special place. So, um, I get to share God's word with you today, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I, uh, I feel like God has something for us, um, a, a way of looking at Easter that I think is really worth celebrating. So, today is the day that we celebrate Christ's victory. And if you're like me, the grandeur of the event can sometimes get lost on me. I don't know about you. It can kind of pass me by. And uh, today my aim is to remind you of the full scope of the event. That's my hope, that we remind ourselves of how big and massive what happened today, 2,000 years ago, like how, how wide the scope really is. So, uh, the true scope of Easter, just to put it plainly, is that you know, Jesus conquered the world and heaven won that's a big thing to say. One what? Was, was victorious over what? Well, the whole world. And that now, if, you, if you're like me, you look around sometimes, and you think, like, how true does that statement feel today on your way? That Jesus conquered the whole world, and that he's totally in charge. Does that feel, does that feel true? I know there's times when it does, but sometimes it can feel like, it's like, well, how does that actually work? Where, where is this? that we're celebrating today. That's what we're going to talk about. And in many ways, the world kind of carried on like normal after Jesus was, after he died and rose. Big bad Rome was still in charge. Only a few hundred people actually saw him after he rose from the dead. And things kind of continued as normal in a way. And it took a long time for that to, for that to change. But it was a little bit anticlimactic <laughs> in terms of its big bang in the, in the world. You know, like it was a little bit anticlimactic. And so, Maybe you're thinking, and this is what keep me thinking this way, what, you know, what cause do I have to celebrate exactly? There's a lot of evil in the world. I look around, it doesn't seem in church. Where is this victory? And where do we look for it? So here's what, uh, here's what I was thinking I was reminded of as I was preparing. That the kingdom Jesus inaugurated by his death and resurrection is completely different from the broken physical mind that you and I walk around in every day. It's completely different. The kingdom is almost like a, like a secret garden that you have to be shown the way to, in a sense. It's completely hidden, and yet it's accessible to absolutely everybody. It's a peaceful kingdom. It doesn't anxiously trumpet itself amongst the noise of the world. It need not compete amongst the shows. And despite its quiet reticence, those who walk as citizens in this kingdom push back the darkness everywhere they go. Our world bends the knee to the authority of Christ every time it's enacted. 
So, is it that Jesus isn't all that victorious? Or is it that the nature of his victory is altogether different than the kinds of victories that uh, you and I are used to celebrating? I celebrate when my sports team beats its opponent. I celebrate when my country wins the war, when my side is represented, or when I destroy Jacob Penner in the board game. It doesn't happen often, but that's what makes it so sweet. Some of you know, some of you know. But when my opponent isn't my fellow man, but rather the evil inside both of us, suddenly a different, the game has changed. It's this game that Christ has won, and this morning we're walking through a passage that shows us how, and I trust it'll be cause for celebration. So we're going to look at Colossians 2. The context is that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae to deal with one issue in particular. They're being led astray by worldly philosophies and a worldly system. They're being led astray by the game the world is playing, so to speak. And so Paul is trying to remind them about what kingdom they actually live in. And I think this is applicable today because I think one of the main reasons why we miss the beauty of Easter, why we miss the celebration, is because we're still playing worldly games. We're still living in a worldly system. And Jesus actually was victorious in a different one. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's jump in. This is Colossians. Put the first slide up there for me. Yes, the Bible's going to be up there for you. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's the point. Live in Him. Be built up with Him. The point being, following Jesus changes the soil you're planted in from the soil of this world to the soil, to, to he becomes the soil, and you're rooted in him, you're built up in him, and he actually becomes the, the place in which you're planted. It's, it's no, I know it's, it's metaphorical in a sense, but it's no longer the world in which you're planted in. It's him. So kind of changes the source of your being, the source of who you are. It's very transformative when you look at it that way. idea here is the world is not your home. The world is not your home. Keep reading. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Isn't that interesting? See to it that no one takes you captive. Paul is saying, don't be led astray by the way the human world works. There's a new king. Everything's different now. Everything's different now. And the world, I think, will always opt for success inside its systems. But don't follow those. They don't lead anywhere. Don't climb that ladder. It's hollow. It's deceptive. It's empty. It's dying. It's dead. It's expiring. This is Paul's plea to this church. Let's keep reading. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Okay, so point here being, Christ is all you need to be brought to the fullness of life because he's more powerful than anything else in the world. He's victorious over the whole thing. He's totally in charge. Basically, Paul is saying, don't follow the second strongest at best power. 
don't follow the second best one. Why would you follow the second best one? That makes no sense. And he's pleading with this church, don't follow the second in charge thing. I, just to help us understand this a little bit, I want to read a little chunk of commentary here for you, a couple of sentences, because I think it really summed it up for me in a helpful way of what Paul's trying to get across to this church. The Tyndale Commentary says this, All worldly power structures, ancient or modern, whether political, economic, or racial, have the potential to become rivals to Christ, beckoning his followers to submit themselves to them in order to find a fuller security. Welcome back, Connie. Nice to have you. That was so smooth, no one noticed. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. It's my bad. I had to eat a sandwich or something. Okay, let me Okay, so these are the powers. Beckon, beckon Christ's followers to submit themselves in order to find a fuller security. But. This invitation is as blasphemous as it is unnecessary. Christ has no rivals, his people need no one but him. This is like pretty crazy, eh? Don't you doesn't it make sense to you that you would want like Jesus, right? Like, oh that makes sense, he offers a lot of stuff. But then we also like are gonna get some power and ability and through worldly structures, right? Uh, you we we can be complete. This is what Paul's saying. We can be completely complete without any other earthly power structures that it offers us. Any other allegiances. Is that we can be totally full in Christ. Wow. This is pretty radical because I'm pretty guilty, and maybe you're like me of thinking the following. I'm complete in Jesus as long as that includes economic stability. Isn't that nice? Like, oh, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but like, I mean, he does... It does mean that I get to, like, have a house. <laughs> it, that does mean that I get to, like, have a 401k or an RRSP, right? Like, that's what it means, right? Uh, that would be an economic system. Oh, super great. Very helpful for us. But is, is fullness needed? Is your fullness? Does it require that for fullness? That's different. Um, another one. I'm completing Christ as long as it includes my rights being upheld. Christians are notoriously taken advantage of over time. They're actually notoriously oppressive at times, too. We're going to get there in a second. But the idea being, we need to have Jesus be in charge, and then plus, i got to have a little bit of status around here. i got to have a little bit of representation here. Or else I'm not complete. Uh, I'm complete in Jesus as long as my ethnic group is well represented. As long as my socioeconomic group is represented as long as people look like me. Like, there's so many ways in which we can want the, the Jesus, but then the fullness of life has to come from some other places. And it's very, it sneaks in real quick, and we're all guilty of it every day. And I feel like I have to be reminded of this way. Wow, fullness in you, rooted and built up in you. Wow, okay. So according to Scripture, all of these are second strongest powers at best, and yet we instinctively, we instinctively search for fullness so quickly. It makes sense. It makes sense why we do this. Because the underlying principle of worldly systems is that life is a struggle to the top. To be at the top. Life is a struggle to be in the majority. Uh, 
And if you're not, you'll wind up victims of those who did get the power and who did win in those systems. And there's lots of precedent for this. This actually is how the world works. And so when we go, okay, I need to actually make sure that I like have money and have status and have ability and have superiority and have all the ability. It's very instinctive because if you don't and you wind up at the bottom, you do get left behind by this world. The world is merciless. It will step on you. It will. It doesn't care. It's playing this worldly game. And uh, I, I just think that if we're not, if, if, if the world would say, if you're not climbing the ladder, whatever that is, you lose. You lose. And you kind of do. Like, nice guys finish last. And it's kind of true. It's really hard to grapple with. Like, this world is a merciless place. Uh, many people think that, that the Christian message is like the inversion of power, where you take all the people who are in charge and then you just flip it, and you give all the, the victims all the power. And this makes sense, also. Like, it solves some problems. Uh, it's sometimes referred to as liberation theology, where Jesus wants to set the captives free, right? And then people go, okay, set the captives free, and then there's like a bloody revolution. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, okay, we solved one problem, but we might have created another one at the same time. The idea being that uh, the same kind of power just traded hands. It's the same kind of system. It's the same kind of power at play, right? All right, more popular these days is the removal of power altogether. Right, that, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't we just, let's just remove all the world's power because of all the damage that it does. Let's remove all the worldly systems that, that oppress people. The problem is, is that this is also kind of impossible because you can only remove power with a greater one. And then uh, it's kind of ironic in that way. I think about like something like a cancel culture. It's, I get why that happens because the, the mob rises up and gains power through kind of a mob mentality, and then solves a problem of somebody who really probably deserved not to have any power anymore. But now you've got another problem called the mob has power, and mobs typically tend to wane in their effectiveness in being able to do good things. And what mobs are great at like the first moment usually, and then it kind of descends and the whole city burns down because the mob can't think very well. <laughs> but now you've just, you're, you see how this is all kind of playing the same game, same rule of the game. A uh, fancy economic term for this is called a zero-sum game. What it means is, is that you've got one pie, and if I have more pie, it means you have less pie. There's only one pie. <laughs> and if I got less, it means you got more, and if you got more, it means I got less, because there's only so much to go around. And the world kind of works that way. It's very finite. Very finite. So here's what we have to kind of grapple with, is that like Jesus wasn't playing this game. He wasn't playing a zero-sum game. Uh, he didn't fight Rome off and restore Israel to its fullness, politically, economically. He didn't do that. And people said, hey, Jesus, you know how evil Rome is, right? It was real, real bad, real bad power. It deserves to be dethroned, especially from Israel's perspective. But Jesus knew that all of that kind 
of pushing you down so that we're now up kind of for you. He knows that all of that earthly authority is tainted with evil and self-intent. He knows it's all tainted with it because it's in a worldly system. And instead of directly opposing it, he does something totally different. He's about to inaugurate a new system where the resource required is not scarce. It is not, it is not a zero-sum game. It is infinite what you can draw from. So what is that? What is that? Skipping down to verse 13 in this passage. He forgave all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus says, here's a plan, mercy. Here's a plan, mercy for everyone. Free, infinite, come and get it, it's all yours, mercy. All the hell that we've unleashed on each other, playing the zero-sum game, bring it to me, and I'm gonna nail it to the I'm gonna pay for all of that selfishly motivated activity that was living in a worldly system. This is the plan, mercy. Interesting, paid in full. Okay, how's this gonna stop evil? It's a nice, thanks Jesus, a really kind of you. <laughs> very kind, very proactive, well done. Uh, now what? How does this, how does this stop evil? How does this help? Okay, well, let's keep reading. Listen to what the next verse says. Having disarmed, disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. Apparently, mercy triumphs over all the worldly systems. Apparently, mercy is more powerful than anything in this world. Something about it, something about it tears through, tears through the earthly systems, smashes it to bits. It disarms the world. The world has no match for it when it finds it. Remember how I was saying earlier, it's hard to see where the victory of Jesus is. And then like, when someone walks in mercy in a place, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I just saw the kingdom. Why else would you do that? Why else would you be merciful? Why else would you return evil for good? And everybody stops and goes, hold on a second, whoa. And the world always bends its knee to when someone is forgiving and merciful and returns evil, returns good for evil. Every time you're like, it's the loudest thing in the world. It really is. So, how does this all work? And this is what we're gonna kinda, it's kind of the point of the, of, the, of the sermon today, is that mercy advances the kingdom of love. It pushes it forward. Did you see a diagram up there? Yeah, some of you will recognize this diagram because every sermon I preach has this in it. So, um, it's very self-explanatory, actually. <laughs> You've got the kingdom of love, which is always purple in my diagrams. And the kingdom of heaven is taking over this world with mercy. 
Now it starts with Jesus. Cross, move. It starts with him. Evil. All of that stuff. I like the term, I like the term exhausted. Evil exhausted itself on Christ. It spent all its power. Because he had nothing for himself to pay for, right? It was a perfect sacrifice. There was nothing to pay for, and he willingly had mercy on all of us. And he's the only one who actually could, because anybody else's death would have just been like kind of square. <laughs> but he didn't have anything to pay for. And so evil and sin and the worldly systems doesn't know what to do with that. And it has to spend and exhaust all of its energy in one moment called the cross. Because infinite mercy requires infinite justice. And he is infinitely just and infinitely merciful in one moment. And it's just like, whoa. And all of a sudden, the infinite justice creates this reservoir, is the wrong word because it's infinite, but this reservoir of mercy accessible to everybody. Accessible to everybody. Mercy triumphs over evil. What, what can evil do in the face of willing, loving sacrifice? What can it do? What can it do? So I, I, I'll kill you. It's fine. I'll take away all that is in, in this world from you. Yeah? Uh, there's nothing. It's. I like to think of Jesus as a slippery. He's slippery. He can't. Evil can't make his sacrifice be about justice for himself. He's too slippery. And even on the cross, Jesus is praying for the forgiveness of his persecutors. Perfection. Perfection. Perfect love. Praying for the people persecuting him while he's hanging on a cross unjustly. So, Jesus' sacrifice was perfect, which means his mercy is the infinite resource the kingdom of love is built on. And here's the thing is he invites us to draw on it every day. He invites us to draw on what he's done every day. Let's put the Lamentations verse up there. I love this verse. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Even though we should be. We deserve to be consumed. We don't deserve to, we don't deserve to be citizens of the kingdom of love in the state that we're in. We have too much of ourselves to pay for. We ruin it if we enter it. But through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. They are infinite. Great is your faithfulness. Like the, the forward motion and direction of God to be towards you and I through the only means by which perfect justice can be upheld. He's just so after us. And the cross is really the only explanation. So, when the world tempts us, you and me, to act in our own best interest in its little zero-sum game, it's playing. When we're tempted to fight as the world fights, God invites us to draw once again from the infinite fountain of loving mercy instead and live out of that place. So my friends, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you've let him, let him, so you've let him pay for everything, you live in a kingdom of love, you're rooted in a new kingdom and you're not playing a zero-sum game anymore. You're drawn from an infinite 
infinite resource. Not the power that this world can give you, which usually requires taking it away from somebody else. There is infinite power offered you. And the power that's offered you is to be merciful on this world. And it always wins. It always holds the world in its tracks. I think about, uh, you guys know Les Miserables? Les Mis. You got the Jean Valjean character, who's a criminal. I haven't actually seen the movie, I've only just seen this scene. Because <laughs> it's sometimes played in sermons. Um, it's the scene where he steals something from the priest. Cops catch him, bring him back to the priest. And the priest says, you forgot some stuff. Fills his bag with more silver. And the cops, look, okay, well, I press him in charge. In fact, here's more. Whoa. It's a different king. It's totally different. It's completely different. So warning, notice the cross. Can you go back to that diagram for me, man? One earlier. You notice the cross in the middle? It's also costly to us, I should say. It's not all sunshine and roses. There is a cross in the middle, and the, and the world is taken over by a cross. It's a real conquering, and it really cost Jesus his, his, his whole life. And uh, we end up, guys, if we advance the kingdom of love, I'm telling you, we end up bearing the scars of the iniquities of others, just like you We wind up with scars. But they're scars in our flesh. They can't really actually touch us. They can't touch our souls. That's done. That's painful. But you wind up with some scars when you follow Jesus. And then Jesus says it. He like promises it. And these are some of his instructions. When you get slapped, offer the other shoe. When someone steals your jacket, give them your shirt. When a Roman asks you to carry your, their stuff for a mile, go too. Return evil for good. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive 70 times 7. The list goes on. What is he doing? What is he doing? Guys, when we return good for evil, or telling the world every time, every time you're merciful and you draw from the infinite resource, you are telling the world that it's defeated. You're telling the world that it's defeated. It's it's done. That's all ending. The kingdom of come is the kingdom is here and it's on its way and that tension filled away. You become a conduit for Christ's infinite mercy to enter this world and it changes the system that's killing us. What a job. What a what a what a privilege. Later on in Colossians 3, a little bit later in Paul's message, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, each of you, holy and dearly loved, as you can see on the cross, he initiated it for you. That's where it starts. You're holy and you're dearly loved, and you deserved, you, you, God wanted to give you salvation because he loves you. And he, he, he deems you worthy of his own death. Ooh, it's got to start there. If it starts from us being martyrs because we're going to start taking lashes from the world, a little strange. It starts with love. And it's for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is how we know what love is, that Christ Jesus died for us. He, he loves us so much, and you're holy and dearly loved. And then, 
clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and a bunch of other stuff that doesn't really help you in the world's economy. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, oh, church, especially here in this room, can we make sure that's not a thing? This is the, this is the kicker. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ooh. So maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you're not convinced. Uh, to be honest with you, neither was I for a long time. The kingdom of love sounded far too costly and way too scary to think they jump into with two feet. I'll tell you, I'm like, this is like teenage, actually, most of my life. Way too scary, that looks way too hard, and I don't want to bear the scars of this world at all, actually, thank you very much. No, I don't want that. Uh, let's tell you just a little bit of my story, this is a lot. Uh, I spent my whole life making sure nobody would ever need to show me mercy. Being shown mercy means you failed. Being shown mercy means you were wrong. Being shown mercy means you messed up. And I don't mess up. I don't mess up. Now, if you drive your sin deep enough underground and people far enough away, you can actually largely succeed in never needing mercy. Sin's got to be a secret, and people got to be at an arm's length. But you can actually largely succeed in nobody ever really needing to show you any mercy. Or at least that you can tell. There's only one problem. I wasn't loved and known at the same time. You guys ever been loved and known at the same time? There's like nothing like that. The worldly way of thinking demanded perfection, and so I tried to give it to them. I took much of this need into my relationships. Perfection is the goal. Mercy is the enemy. So you can, you can kind of imagine how that went. Okay? She wanted to know me. She wanted to know me. And so eventually, by God's grace, my true colors came out. And there was a lot of ugliness in my heart. A lot of things buried. A lot of things that were useless in the kingdom of heaven were buried way down deep. One evening, things were particularly hard, and I did what any grown man would do. I called my parents <laughs> to see if they could help. Maybe you guys have done the same with my parents. <laughs> uh, two things. Two things changed my life that night. Two things changed my life that night. After hearing the situation and all my confessions, all my ugliness, Dad very calmly said something. He said, you know, sooner or later, every married couple realizes that they will need mercy to stay together. You can just start now, can you? You can just start now. And the second thing was to have said, okay, I choose mercy and forgive She forgave us, the Lord forgave her. There's only one reason why she did. And the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. And the kingdom of love and relationship is like flourishing, full bloom, 
The only way to be known and loved at the same time, my friends, is to receive mercy from God and others. You need it. You just do. You need it. I'm sorry. I did. You do. You need mercy. And you know what happens when you let mercy in your heart? You're, you're knitted in to what you were designed for. A kingdom of love and relationship where you're known and loved at the same time. My friends, don't fight mercy. Don't fight the infinite resource. Jesus paid everything to create an infinite amount of. And let it flow through you. Let it flow through you to others. It's the, it's the way the kingdom is conquering this world. So, my friends, question for you. Do you want to be part of the kingdom of love? Do you want to be part of that kingdom? I do. I do. It's great. It is full. It's the fullness of life Paul was talking about. And it doesn't sink with earthly systems at all. Allegiance is fully required to Jesus. You're, at, you're the only one that's trustworthy. You're the only one that's perfect, and so I welcome your mercy into my heart. I refuse to get security from anywhere else. I refuse to climb any ladder or step on any heads. You're my source. You're where I go first. You're where I take my cues from. And my friends, it's salvation that happens. And so I'm going to be the worship team. You guys can get ready. I'm just going to take you a while. There's like 50 of you. But there's a couple of ways in which we can respond to that. There's a couple of ways in which we can respond. The first one is uh, you can receive the mercy that Jesus longs to give you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe it's been too scary to receive mercy. Maybe this is the first time where you're like, oh, oh, I I'm actually someone deemed me worthy of their sacrificial love. Yes. Yes, that's what we're celebrating here today. Someone deemed you worthy of that. Someone deemed you worthy. And if you don't, if you've never known, now you know. And maybe you get to welcome that for the first time. Maybe there's others of you who forgiveness is getting stuck. And it's, and it's like, yeah, I kind of get it, but I'm a little bit clammed up right now, and I'm not really sure if I want to live whole hog for this. I get it up here, but today in here, it's not so true. Jesus gives us a very clear way of, of overcoming that. He, he goes, forgive as I forgive you. Remind yourself of how victorious mercy can be. Remind yourself of how much it can reconcile. Remind yourself of how close it can bring you. And let it go. Let the worldly system go. Let the bitterness that makes all the sense in the world. Because bitterness is so helpful. Hey, because it's like taking back all the things you gave someone who didn't deserve it. You're just bitter and judgmental and now we're, I'm back on top. But you give that away and you say like, Lord, no. Like, I'm going to forgive as you forgave me. And you don't, you just want my heart. So those are two potential steps. And what we're going to have is the man's going to play a song. And uh, there's also going to be a prayer team up here against these kind of blue doors. You guys can go there now if you like. And uh, if anybody wants to pray with them for like whatever's on your heart, it's a great way to take a stride towards Christ. These people aren't Jesus, but they can minister pretty well. They can minister pretty well. Every time I go out for prayer at church, it's like a tall glass of water of the gospel and the Holy Spirit.
Maybe it's to receive Christ for the first time. Maybe it's to receive mercy for the first time. Maybe it's to say, I need to forgive him. You know what? Maybe it's to say, Lord, help me celebrate this because my heart feels hard. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for what is accessible to us today. Father, I thank you for the lengths that you went to to make mercy accessible for us. Lord, I pray that as we let ourselves receive mercy, we will experience being known and loved by you and by others. Ah, oh, Father, you, you are so worthy of our adoration and worship. And right now, Lord, if there's any fear or